0: Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. Oh, he's so good. So good. Um, I believe that God has a word for you today, and I think he wants to encourage you uh, where you're at and challenge you Um but not just for the sake of you feeling better about yourself when you leave, but really to have a greater vision of who he is and a greater clarity about who he is to you. And last week I spoke about the fact that uh, the scripture tells us that we've received a new heart. Um, Essentially, our spirit came alive when we gave our lives to Christ. When uh, somebody comes to Christ, there's an awakening that happens and there's like a dead part of us that comes to life. And it's hard for non-Christians to understand what that is and what that looks like and what that feels like, but someone who, who experiences that, it's undeniable. You know, tonight we've got uh, five baptisms, which we're so excited about. Uh, one of those uh, people that we're baptizing, really excited about, is Daniel Riggs. Um, Daniel Riggs, give us a wave wherever you are. There he is. Um, you know, Jesus got a hold of his heart, and um, Daniel's life has been revolutionized. From top to bottom, there's been something that's happened in his life that goes beyond just um, incremental improvements. There's now a faith in him to believe that God loves him as he is, and that God's got a plan and a purpose for him, and he's bought freedom. Um, Up until that point, he was um, battling—I hope you don't mind me saying this. He's going to share a lot tonight, I'm sure. It's going to be such an encouraging uh, testimony—battling some severe depression and anxiety— And, you know, Jesus comes into his life and just totally changes his outlook on his future. It's incredible. You need to come tonight and hear his testimony. But what happens after that point is, like, it doesn't mean now that Daniel Riggs just has a skipping through meadows kind of life, that everything is easy and that everything just makes sense. And all of those things were up in the air before and now neatly ordered because Jesus loves him. Actually, there's still a battle ongoing because what the enemy wants to do is constantly undermine what Jesus has done in your heart. Constantly. He he wants to discourage you and lead you to believe that you're the only one that God can't do this for. And so at times, the reason that Satan does that is because Satan wants us out of the fellowship of people, of saints. He wants us out of church. He wants us to give up on gathering together. Um, The writer of Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together as are in the habit of doing. Because Satan tries to take one person out of the fold. Because when they're out of the fold, they're more susceptible to hearing Satan's voice. And not just hearing it, but believing what Satan has to say to them. And um, nothing good can come from that because the enemy's only intent for your life is one of destruction. The enemy's only agenda for your life is not like, how can I make them really wealthy and give them a false happiness? Actually, what it is, is how do I destroy this person? How do I destroy their marriage? How do I destroy their family? How do I undermine the values or even this moral right standing that Emmy was talking about? How do I undermine that? And it doesn't normally come with big strokes of kind of obvious shining lights like sin, sin, sin. It's general just subtle discouragements along the path of salvation that actually, um, as we walk with Jesus, another setback, another person's let me down, another person's let me down. You know, I lost my job. Um... We don't have enough money. Whatever the, the circumstances may be. And, and what slowly happens if we're not careful is our heart becomes distanced from the Spirit of God. And when our heart is distanced from the Spirit of God, it becomes harder and harder and harder to the point where now church is no longer a place of liberty and freedom for me. It's a place of religion. It's a place of ritual and obligation. And so uh, what is the antidote to that hard heart spirit? Well, it's worship. It is worship. Worship, amen? amen. Worship is uh, your key tool and weapon to ensure that your heart remains soft. There's nothing like worship for that. Why? Because worship, what it does is it recenters the glory of God in your life and over your life. Yeah. Um, we've heard it said this morning, I think, I think it was Mags. I can't remember, um, we, we are built with an innate sense to worship, to give worth to something. We, we're just built. Our frame is like looking for something that we can put our worship in. Like, there's got to be something. And most of the time, people settle for a football team. You know? Like, I've chosen AFC Bournemouth um, as my, not my god, but as one of the objects that I'm interested in in life. And like yesterday, when you lose 2-0 to Brentford, you're like, what's the point? Uh-huh. Um, some people choose um, Taylor Swift. Put your hand up if you're a Taylor Swift fan. No, neither am I, definitely not. Oh, thank. You. I see that hand, Dave. Really? Well, that's surprising. I've seen you always more kind of rock and roll with the tattoos, so Taylor Swift's a bit of a curveball for me, to be honest, but fair enough. Boyzone. Hey, boys on? <laughs> Are you flying without wings this morning? No? Well, essentially what happens is, is our soul is, is yearning to worship because it's the way we're created. we got to give worship. And generally what we do is we, we, we target our worship towards fallible subjects, things that will let us down over and over again. It may not be Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift or Bournemouth or Liverpool, whatever is your selection. It can actually be your spouse. Um, I'm not saying it is, but it can even be your pastor. (laughs) Okay, that hurt a little bit. I'm not going to lie. It was like a good one, Dom. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Wow, okay, right. It can be your children. (laughs) No chance. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. Yeah, thanks for the encouragement, Mom. That's great. It's crazy, isn't it, how, how there's something longing in us to, to give our affection, our attention, our adoration towards something. Um, but inevitably, inevitably, even, even when we've come to the realization of who Jesus is and we've received him as our Savior, even then there's a battle to keep him on the throne of our hearts. You know, in this um, time of modernity in which we live, there, I think more than ever, one of the tactics of the enemy is not even to get you to worship something else. It's to get you to worship you. To actually pitch yourself as number one. To pitch your desires as number one. Advertising is built on that premise that actually there's nothing more important in your life than you. And so you get targeted with adverts all the time to kind of self-improvement, self-development. And so today, we've got to think about worship because what worship does is it says, I'm not number one, they are not number one, only God is number one, and he alone is worthy of my affection, of my attention, and my adoration. Now, I've got a whiteboard here. It's because we're at school, and I thought it'd be cool to go back to class today. But I just want to show you something. So turn your scriptures to Psalm 63. I didn't have a chat with uh, Colin and Joe pre-service about what I would be looking at today. But I'm going to use Psalm 63 as a launch in. So I'm going to read it. Listen to this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole body longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips. My mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadows of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Amen? This is David... King David, a significant uh, person in the Old Testament, uh, writing a song of worship. Um, It's in a collection of songs that we know are the Psalms, know as the Psalms, and mostly written by David, they kind of um, record his journey to the throne, from his journey in the pastures to his journey to the palace, and he writes a number of songs, and it's interesting to see how his journey unfolds through worship songs, okay, it's pretty cool. Now, the reason I've got this whiteboard is because I want to show you something interesting that often we overlook when it comes to David, okay? So this is the science bit, concentrate, because this bit, hopefully, will really help you today. So right here is all of life. All of it. Everything. From the moment that God spoke everything into being to the moment that Jesus returns for his church. This is the timeline of history. This is it. All of your aspirations, ambitions, all of your hopes, dreams, and desires, somewhere fitting on that line somewhere. God, who sits outside of time, created time when he created the moon and the sun but one day we will leave human time and space and jump into eternity incredible now after god created everything i'm not an artist okay so give me grace so that the people may get bigger or smaller because i'm not consistent with my sizes okay it's not because I believe that we've evolved to be a foot tall or anything like that. So this person isn't a monkey. He may look like a monkey, but I don't buy into evolution, okay? Just saying, okay? And his legs would have been longer. I just need to establish that, okay? And uh, give Eve a little dress, okay? Here's Adam and Eve, created. Created to worship. She's not floating. Her feet do touch the ground, Okay? What are you laughing at? What, what are you liking? The skirt? You liking the? A and E. Okay, right there. Adam and Eve. Okay. Adam and Eve. God creates them, and his goal for them is that they would be completely fulfilled in who he is. It's interesting that after God made Adam, God looked at Adam's situation and said, "It's not good for them to be him to be alone." Like Adam needs somebody, and so he creates woman, and there is this marriage of Codependence under God. That together Adam and Eve will somehow experience an added blessing of God than if Adam was just on his own. It's kind of interesting. We know that there is a crazy battle to kind of re educate the West on gender and all this sort of stuff, and I'm going to get into that next week. But the truth is male, female, he created them, husband and wife. That in marriage, they can experience the fullness of God together. But they also speak to the state of humanity. Now, what I want to do is I also want to draw us. So I'm going to draw us right towards the end, because I generally think that Jesus is probably coming back in about three weeks. Okay. I'm going to draw us here. Here's Dom. Okay. And here's Louise. Okay. Why is she so small? I don't know. It wasn't an intentional decision, okay? Don't tell mom that I drew a smaller than me, okay? But I'll give her a little skirt, despite the fact that she likes to wear man jeans, okay? Give her a little skirt. We speak about that regularly. Um, Here's Dom and Lou. So between here and there, obviously, most of us, hopefully, we know that Adam and Eve, after they were created, they were tempted by the enemy, and the temptation of the enemy was to persuade Adam and Eve that God wasn't totally good, that God was holding out on them, that there was an essence and an aspect of life that they couldn't experience because God had decided that. And Satan's so like, did God really say that? And we know that Adam and Eve fall into sin, okay? And what does sin mean? Sin means that every human's default, um, default response to any given situation is fallen, We have a fallen view on things. So when children are born, the role of parents, I've said this a number of times, the role of parents is to teach kids to be good because they've already got the bad thing down. It's natural. It's nature. Our human nature leads us to be less than what God intended, okay? So we live in the context of sin. And here we are over here, Dom and Lou, on the same timeline of space. But the thing that separates us from Adam and Eve is this. It's the cross. Jesus, God himself, steps into human time and space 2,000 years ago. We've just been celebrating it at Christmas. Jesus comes, lives the life that these guys were incapable of living, totally incapable of living, lives the life that we were totally incapable of living, dies the death that we couldn't die, that they couldn't die, so he lives for us, he dies for us, and what's amazing is when we come to Christ, so let's do this here, that's me kneeling and praying. <laughs> it looks like a hieroglyphic. It's not great. Um, as we come to Christ, what happens is my sin is essentially placed on him. And what Emmy was talking about this morning, right standing righteousness, his righteousness is placed on us. So now, myself and Louise, who have both bowed our knee to Jesus at different points can now experience true life in Christ. That life in Christ affects the way we worship. It has to. It has to affect the way we praise. It has to affect the way we talk. It has to affect the way we relate to one another. It has to affect the way we do our finances. This reality changes everything for us in this moment, even though it happened 2,000 years before we were born. There's something powerful about the cross That for every man, woman, and child who gives their life to Christ actually can know a freedom and a liberty to truly worship him. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about this bit here. Because before the cross, what we've got is humanity becoming increasingly sinful. Okay, that's a boat. Can you see that? You can't see the boat, okay. I'll try and make it, and I'll put some water there. Hopefully you see that. God tells Noah to build an ark, to take livestock, to take his family and start again, because humanity had become too uh, sinful, had become too wicked, too evil. And after Noah, what we see is we see like Abraham, I'll give him long hair, okay, and his son Isaac, okay, um, a significant man, founding father of the uh, Hebrew faith, Jewish faith, okay? Uh, further down the line, we get Moses. Don't know what's wrong with his legs. <laughs> that's Moses, not Goliath. Just saying. Nephilim. Um, <laughs> I'll give Moses a staff and tablet, but that's tablet of stone, not an iPad, okay? Just saying. Um, this is... Moses, God establishing the law through Moses. Now, God's heart has always been to meet with his people. That's always been his heart because that was his intent at the beginning, is that actually people would worship him and that they would experience him. And that together, just like in the Garden of Eden, there would be this sense of intimacy and closeness. That it feels as though God is walking with you side by side through life. Yet sin ruins everything. Yet God's heart for people never diminishes despite the fact that we fall into sin. And so through Moses, this is a tabernacle, okay? Through Moses establishes the sacrificial system. This bit's the bit I really need you to understand this this morning. The sacrificial system before Jesus was everything. Because what it did is it foreshadowed the work of the cross. If I live this side of the cross, I'm sinful and I need atonement. But how on earth can I be atoned if Jesus, my Savior, hasn't come yet? Because I'm living before Jesus came. And that's what this is about. Through the tabernacle, what I'm to do is I'm to get a sacrifice without blemish, right? Bring this sacrifice to the temple, you know, when I've, when I've sinned, to give the sacrifice to a priest. I don't know what that is. It's not a lampshade. I don't know what that's about, but I'll put a little animal in his hands, okay? To give this animal to the priest, and this bit's a bit gruesome. If you're, like, all about animal welfare, don't listen to this bit. That animal would then be slaughtered. The animal would die. And the idea is, is that the animal's dying... So that I can, like, be made right with God. Because the wages of sin is death. Because of sin, sacrifice is required in order to have that sense of new start. And essentially what would happen is this sacrifice would foreshadow the cross. In itself, it was unable to deal with our sin. But what it did do is it showed our need for a greater sacrifice. The one that was to come. Now, here's the thing. Is everyone tracking with me at the moment? Everyone's tracking? Okay. Here's the thing. This is the problem. Is that, let's say I sin, I get a sacrifice, and I bring it to the priest. The priest would then sacrifice, you know, the, the animal. And what would happen is I would leave being cleansed. And then I would sin again, and so the cycle continues over and over and over again. Constantly needing a sacrifice. Constantly needing something to represent me and my sin. And this cycle, if you like, this is the thing, it's it's really about obligation. It's something that God established, but it was to show us our need for something greater. It's about ritual. And ultimately, it's undergirded by law. Now, the law is important. Make no mistake about it. The law is glorious. I'm not trying to undermine the law whatsoever. But essentially, what happens in this situation is... I come, I do this, I leave, I make a mistake, I need to come again, do that, I make a mistake again, I need to get a sacrifice. And constantly, constantly the cycle continues and essentially what happens is we see the formation of religion. Because religion is all about the cold practice of works, yeah, of worship. And, and this, is, this, is what, this is what it was before Christ. Now, I'm not trying to diminish their relationships with God, but let me tell you this. In Christ, you can experience God in such a more powerful way than Moses ever could. In Christ, you can experience the presence of God greater than Abraham ever could. Because Abraham was in a system... That was not about the coming to life of his spirit, but rather the acknowledgement of his brokenness. And then the faith to believe that these sacrifices would one day make sense in light of a saviour who comes. Does everyone understand this? Everyone get it? Anyone have any questions at this point? I know that's a risky thing to ask. Because you could ask me anything and I may not know the answer. About this, preferably. Okay. Good. Because this is the crazy thing. This, this right here is the context of David's life. I'll give him a little crown as well. (laughs) I can't live with that. Give him a smile. I give him a smile. (laughs) Think about that. In a time where people were locked into a sacrificial practice of worship, a religious duty of worship, David comes to the scene. This is so profound because if we look at Psalm 63 again, You begin to get a sense of how revolutionary his worship really is. You, God, are my God. It's personal. It's personal. Like in a time where people's worship was outworked in a corporate act, like we worship you, God, David had a practice of worship that was hidden, an intimate closeness with God. You, God, Oh, my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. He speaks to the religious reality. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, while everything is dry, God, I know there's a side to you that will satisfy. He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Like, are you beginning to see, David's worship was revolutionary. It was exceptional. It was about a thousand years too early is what it was. David was not entitled to worship in this way. Because it speaks of a, a familiarity in the presence of God that was unknown to almost everybody else during his time. He says, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. God, I can't get you out of my head. Like, I'm so thirsty for you. Like, I just want to raise my hands. I want to sing songs. Lord, I just want to, I want to give you all worth. And, and it's kind of a crazy thing. Because David, and it came through the word this morning, David in his moment, he chose. He chose to worship God. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. I choose. David chose. David's choice led to greater love and greater passion and essentially David found a freedom that was unique in his time because he chose, he chose. Other people did this because they were instructed to and it was the right thing to do. I was in um, a car journey a little while back with Caleb and Judah. And we had an exceptionally busy of church stuff planned. And um, I think we had quite a lot on in the morning. We had something in the afternoon. Then we had a, a prayer meeting in the evening or something. And Caleb said something along the lines of, um, oh, we have to go to church tonight too. And Judah's response, and I'm not pitching Judah against um, Caleb, Caleb has brilliant moments too, okay? Judah's response is, no, we don't have to go tonight. We get to go tonight. I was like, yes. High five to that. Now, in other moments, Caleb, is smashing out of the park. So it was just a terminological shift. But I like it because what it speaks to is the posture. You don't have to come and worship Jesus. You get to come and worship Jesus. And there's something about that Personal reality of experiencing and worshipping God that, that speaks to the dynamic that we experience when we're in moments like this morning what's interesting is that like in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 we read that God is looking for a new king this is before David is on the throne this is in the days of Saul God is looking for a new king and he tells the prophet Samuel to get up to the house of Jesse And he goes to Jesse's house, and he's looking at Jesse's sons, and they all come out one by one, and the seven sons that pass before Samuel, and they all look like they should be king material. In stature, they all look great. But this is what um, God says to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. He says, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, speaking of Eliab. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord... Looks at the heart. In Acts 13, 22, in the New Testament, really capturing something of David's, I guess, faith, says this in Acts 13, verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Like there was something that shifted David's heart and it was worship and praise. It was a posture. It was a posture of surrender and submission that was exceptional in his time. When everyone else was coming out of religious duty, David was worshipping God in the back and beyond of Bethlehem, in the hillside, while shepherding his father's sheep. He was there worshipping God in the quietness and loneliness, just seeking the Lord and praising him. Now, the reason that this matters is because most of us only pick up the story of David um, from the point of Goliath, defeating the giant. And we pitch David as this kind of amazing man of faith who took down one of Israel's enemies and, praise God, he did. But the crazy thing is is that David's journey began long before he was face-to-face with Goliath. David's journey started again in the hillside where no one was watching. I've been thinking a lot about that this week and Ben, can you come up please? Thinking a lot about that this week because certainly for me I want Sunny Hill to have a worship revolution. I want us to be a worshipping people. Now, how that works is not that we just have good music on a Sunday and how that works isn't that we sing the liveliest Most enjoyable songs. And how that works isn't having the lights and good sound equipment or competent engineers. We're so blessed at this church with great musicians, great engineers. We've just got a great team. But how that works is understanding that our corporate expression of worship starts out there, actually, it starts out there where no one's watching. I'm really mindful of this because, like, I think sometimes, for many, if we're honest, not for all, I'm making a blanket statement, but what I just sense in the Spirit is that for many, this hour of worship on, on a Sunday morning is the only worship you're doing in the week. And essentially what that means is when we come into a gathered place and into a gathered moment is that we come, if you like, with a a sense of ritual, obligation. Something motivated by law. And I love the fact that we gather, obviously. And I love the fact that in some way you choose to come to church. That's amazing. But I want us to go to the next level. Not just choose to come to the building, but to actually choose to worship God. To actually say, God you're worth everything to me. And for me, it's about this idea that like worships starting when you get home actually. That actually when we go to work on a Monday, how am I worshiping? I was talking to one of my kids a couple of weeks ago about how do you worship God when you're at school? Like because worship is so much beyond just the singing of words of course singing is so key to worship we see that in the scriptures but it's about a posture of the heart it's about constantly looking to center Jesus in your existence and saying God you're worthy of everything and it's in that, in that place that no one sees that really informs the worship and the victories and the success that everyone sees I think it's so key for us going into 2023 because whereas David if you like worshipped to a place of right standing with God in the sense that David wasn't against this system, David participated in the system as well for sure but whereas David worshipped to a place of right standing this is what's really cool we worship from a place of right standing understanding that Jesus has done it Jesus has defeated death Jesus has broken the power of sin in my life it speaks to that thing I was talking about last week it's not about incremental intentional changes it's about allowing that new creation that God has made us to be come forth in life your new heart wants to worship God In John 4, Jesus says, a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You see, in many ways, up until this point, they only worshipped in truth. The truth of what God had instructed and mandated. But when we come to Christ, our spirits come alive. And it means that When we're alive in Christ, we can now worship in spirit. We're not just about an intentional head decision just to go through the system. Actually, it's a heart posture of saying, Whoa, God, you're worthy of everything. And so with that, I want to encourage us today that if we're to become a worshiping community And if we're to be in a place where God's spirit is truly felt and truly experienced in our corporate gatherings. And I believe we do experience God in various measures. But if we want to see more of him, then it actually starts on a Monday when we're not together. Building a lifestyle of worship. I've been talking to Louise a lot about that this week. Just like even using music, because music does help focus the heart. Put in on worship instead of putting on TV. Like if you've got a work commute, instead of just listening to a podcast, putting on worship and again, just allowing the Holy Spirit to actually soften your heart, align your heart to God's heart. And from that place of worship, building faith in your life and belief that God is at work. And it's amazing because as the critical mass of us worship in that way in our own space, on our own time, then when we rally together in the house of God on a Sunday or on a Tuesday or a small group or whatever it is, We're we're actually bringing God with us. We're not just trying to find him together in the moment. There's a sense of, man, like I'm carrying the presence of God in my life. And when you come into your small group setting and open the scriptures, there's another level to the dynamic. I really want to encourage you because, like, the enemy is vying for your attention. The, vi- the enemy is vying for your affection. And ultimately, God is saying today, I'm all you need. I'm all you need. Yes. Nothing else will satisfy. That's why the song, This is My Desire, is so pertinent. This is my desire to worship you, Lord. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. That's the posture of submission. That's the posture of worship. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for this church, for us. I pray, God, we would learn what it is to hunger after you, Lord. Help us not to settle for religion. Help us not to settle for duty. But help us to go after your heart. Father, I thank you, Lord, that David, before his time, pursued you. And God, you recognize that heart and you love that heart. It was an anomaly in his hour. And Lord, I pray, Father God, that we, God, in 2023, would not just adopt the posture of David, Lord, because I believe our worship can be even greater than David's. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place today, there would be a resolve in us, Father, to make time for your presence, to make time to worship you, Father, to actually center ourselves again on your goodness, on who you are. Lord, we need you. I need you, Lord. Father, without you, we're nothing. Without you, we have nothing, God. There is no future. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would, I don't know, you would just help us recover that heart of worship, Lord. I just feel the Lord saying that um, to bring to mind that, that soundbite in one of the letters to the churches in Revelation. That the, the sense of recovering that first love passion. I think, I think there's a sense even in us today that for some people that we've just lost that zeal, lost that passion. Lost our cutting edge in the spirit. And we've just kind of defaulted to autopilot or cruise control. And we're going through the motions of life and church and faith. But I just get this, just get the sense the Spirit of God is just saying, Come on, come back to your first love. Come on, come on. Just as the day when you came to Christ and there was that overwhelming realization of who He is and that enjoyment of who He is that actually you know, maybe you've drifted from that and now you're just fallen onto a system of religion and Christianity. But God is saying, no, come back to your first love. God is wanting to know that that intimacy with you. God is desiring to know relationship with you. And so, Father, this morning, Lord, we just acknowledge the fact that maybe we have misplaced our first love. And God, this morning, we just... We desire to come back to our first love. We desire to return to, to that space, Lord, where, God, you, you were everything to us. You were all of our thinking. You consumed all of our thinking. Lord, we read about you. We talked about you. We worship you. We prayed. Father, I pray, God, that there would be a recovery of that passion and zeal, God, not for your church, but for you, God, for your presence, for relationship with you. Lord, I ask it. In Jesus' name, God, because I know, Father, God, that so often in life, we just become dull to the things of your Spirit. And, God, we want to be refreshed by your Spirit. So, if Lord, help us, would you, today, God, as we, just, as we just use this moment just to say, God, this is our desire again. Lord, we give you our heart. In fact, can the band come up? Let's just sing that refrain. Let's stand to our feet, church. Let's use this song as a response to, to this word.